Welcome to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kip Wilkinson. This podcast exists to share the stories of everyday people, to discuss the difficult moments in life, the amazing triumphant times, and the journey in between. We all have a story to tell, and we hope this podcast helps you in telling your own. In this episode, we had the chance to talk with Heath Hornsby. Heath's story deals a lot with breaking the cycle of divorce and what it looks like to build a family that is seeking after God. But I'll let him tell you the story. Heath Hornsby. Uh, I have been married to my beautiful bride, Tracy, for 13 years. Uh, we have three amazing kids that absolutely um, test my patience every day, but they are well worth it. Um, uh, and uh, so I grew up in a Christian home uh, for, you know, I was loved by my parents. I know um, they protected us, uh, me and my brother and I. And um, we had a good family life. Uh, went to church, um, you know, it's those things you remember as, as a kid, uh, we did all those things. We, we had the beach trips, uh, we had the camping trips, we had the games outside. Uh, so for what I would feel pretty much a normal life uh, growing up uh, in, in, in my early years. Um, and so around the age of eight years old, it's, it's funny because I barely remember yesterday, but this was so clear, and it, and it happened again around the age of eight that um, my, my dad and my mom set us down, and we were uh, in the living room, and, and my dad told my brother and I that uh, they would be getting a divorce. Um, and, and I remember at that time, I think I was really too young to understand what, uh, to, to really comprehend what a divorce meant, but my brother was a couple years older than me, and I just remember him just flying down the hallway. Uh, my dad doesn't love me anymore. How is he going to be around? And, and it really, I, it's, I can just, I can see that so vividly. And, and um, so from there, um, you know, times got rough. Um, I know that for me um, is when Satan uh, really got his, got his foot in the door. I know, as, again, as, as we went to church and you hear all these things, how God loves you and, and God's there for you. Um, Satan began to fill all that truth with, you know, how can God love you if your own dad can't love you? How, how can, um, how can God love a broken, a broken home? And, 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 and so God, I mean, so Satan just really started beating me up with all this stuff. So, um, it, it was then, I think my brother and I, we realized that my dad was leaving us. Um, and, and he moved to Savannah, uh, Georgia, where he pretty much lived there until I was about twenty twenty three. Um, but you know, that's when my brother and I realized that, you know, dad's gone. Um, we've kind of got a, at a young age, become the protector of the house. You know, we got to help mom. We, we had each other's back. We really became, you know, best friends and best friends fight and argue. We did that. Of course we were brothers, but, um, in reality is we had to lean on each other, um, for things. Um, and so that kind of played into, I guess about a 20 year uh, just rebellion and struggle with, with God that I knew at an early age in my heart, again, that we learned about him in church. Um, and so in that rebellion, my, um, my mom was an awesome, awesome Christian woman. Um, even she, she never swayed from the truth. She never, um, even then I remember in the divorce times, like she just always poured into God and just always, I remember her reading her Bible and, uh, and that kind of thing. And so, but saying all that after my dad left, she was, she had the burden of, 
of raising two kids to, you know, to be adult kids. And so it's on a single income, which meant that she, I mean, there were times more towards high school, but even in the middle school, there were times where she would go to work at 630 and we wouldn't see her till 1030, 12 o'clock at night because she's working two jobs. And so that being said, we we had a lot of free time on our hands. We didn't have a lot of parental guidance. And so we were pretty much free to do, I mean, whatever young kids get into at that age. So, you know, in, in middle school, uh, we lived in a little country town, man. And so we would, I mean, from the time, if it was summertime or when, when we got out of school, uh, we were walking from friend's house to friend's house. And, and again, just, I think I was introduced to alcohol about the age of 12, 13. We got into drinking and there was a little little shop down the road from us that had alcohol and cigarettes, and we'd steal cigarettes out of there and go down to the creek and smoke them, and uh, just typical stuff kids uh, would get into and, and just being mischievous. And and so, you know, again, I think I got into uh, smoking marijuana or tried it when I was probably 14, 15 years old. Um, and and then, you know, from there, um, as, we, as we fast forward kind of into our high school days, um, I think of my brother and I, we were still running around together really close. Um, but as you get older, the drugs become harder. The alcohol becomes more intense. You know, you meet new people, you get in the run, start running in these groups and, um, basically <clears throat> partying and drugs and alcohol, uh, was just a part of the weekend. Um, it, it, that was a part of our lifestyle. And I, I think about it now and I just think back of, um, just how um god in all this when i didn't see him there and I, I didn't know he was there and didn't think he loved me um just the ways that he protected me um i know again through all these parties and all this stuff we were doing um just just the how god god was there for us he protected me um which was um which was something i didn't see at the time but again the the partying led to just again partying chasing women and all this stuff and anything we can get into but really it was just to fill a void uh really i was just looking for love i mean i'm 42 years old and i think my dad's never once told me he's proud of me uh he'll hit around with me that he loves me kind of you know in a goofing way but never sat down and said hey son i love you i'm proud of you and growing up, I mean, that's what men need in their life is to know that they're they're appreciated, that they're valued. And so in that rebellion, I was just looking for anything to say, Heath, I love you, or something that would give me satisfaction. And that's where we looked at drugs and all this stuff that would that would fill you for the night, but the next morning it's gone. So um so again, our high school days, mine, mine and my brothers, we were just were really just crazy. We were out there. Um and I think though, um, so I enjoyed sports, man. I love sports growing up and um, one thing that I, f- um, I found value in is, was football. I mean, I was a little guy, but people told me, my coaches told me I was really good at it. So I felt like I had a value into something. And so, and, and there was this, I, I wasn't like a mean person. I didn't have a mean bone in me, but when I got on the football field, I could release this anger that's been built up for 20 years. So, and I could do it without getting in trouble. So, <laughs> and so just football days, I loved it. I loved it. And I loved going to practice and that's where, what kept me out of trouble because if you wanted to play football, you had to have good grades. So I had to keep my – at least I, I didn't make great grades, but I had my Bs and Cs. You know, I didn't fail classes just because I wanted to play football. And I know if I, if I got the Fs and the Ds, I, I wasn't playing. So I look back now and I think how God's grace through football kind of saved 
uh, saved me from getting in a lot of trouble when when I was on the practice field and my buddies were out getting in trouble and getting arrested and doing all this stuff. So um, that was a um, that was a little uh, saving grace back in back in the day. And and two, it was funny because you know I was searching again for something just to fill this hole. And I think I don't remember exactly. It's probably my sophomore junior year of high school. E- even in the midst of the party, and even in the midst, uh, I would wake up on Sunday and think, "Man, I need to go to church." And I would just go by myself. I just wake up. My mom wouldn't push me to go. And this this went on for about six months. And that's again where I just I knew there was something out there that was better than what I was doing. I just didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't, again, I knew who Jesus was as a little kid, but again, I'm still believing all these lies that, um, that, that I could never be good enough. God can't accept me. My own father can't love me again. So, um, fast forward, um, we were again, typical weekend. Uh, we were, we were out and, um, a, a little, uh, a beautiful little lady walks in the room. Um, and right away I knew, uh, I had to go talk to her. And so uh, I went up and talked to her. I introduced myself to her, and somehow, some way, she said, "Hey, I'll give you my number," and <laughs> called her the next day and pursued her. Uh, and little did I know that uh, that little lady friend would become my wife. Uh, um, and and f- about uh, you know, it was so we dated. We pursued each other, and about we dated for five years. And so. What was cool about that was when I first met uh, Tracy, she was she was different than anybody I've ever met as far as girl wise. She didn't she didn't cuss, she didn't smoke, she didn't do drugs, she uh, she didn't do any of this any, anything like I've you know I was used to running with the party women, so that's all we did. So at first it, it was it just struck me weird, like why 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 is she not like the rest of the people? Well, as we dated, I I came to find out that she had a, uh, a relationship and she pursued Jesus, um, and it showed. Um, and so in our five years of dating, um, not a lot changed in, in my personal life. We, um, she, now she would go to church every Sunday. We would hang out. We had a great relationship, but we would still party on the weekends. Um, her not so much, but she'd drive me around from certain party to party. And, you know, whether I was at her house or we were at somebody's house, we would just hide the drugs from her if we were still smoking pot or whatever, drinking beer. So she didn't really, <laughs> she had a clue maybe, but she didn't really know what was going on. So, um. Uh, but the, uh, but then again, in those five years, um, I really got to see uh, Jesus work, whether that be through her or whether it was through her family. Her family was a big family, and they loved Jesus, and they loved everybody, and they showed me grace upon grace upon grace. And in those five years, God really started, I mean, he just started working on me. Um, and I guess a um, one of the one of the big turning point turning points in my life was I had a good friend uh, named Jason, and um, we did everything together. We hung out together, and there was one night we were at a party, um, actually at mine and Tracy's house, and his wife pulled up. We were in my garage shooting darts. There's 15 people there, so and his wife pulled up, and I seen him go down to the car, and you could tell they were arguing, and he came back up, and he said, hey, man, I got to go. I was like, why are you leaving? What's going on, blah, 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 and he said, I, I, I'll talk to you about it later. I got to go. So about two days later, I called him. Um, I said, Jay, man, what's going on? I ain't heard from you in a couple of days. He said, uh, he said, yeah, man, I just uh, had to take a break. And I said, what do you mean take a break? He goes, yeah, Ch- Chelsea and I have just decided that we, we can't do this fake life anymore. We can't. We can't continue to go to church on Sunday and, and pretend we are Christians and then on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday just live whatever, however we want to. And he said, I'm done with it. And I thought, okay, yeah, right, I've heard this before. So 
Weeks go on, two weeks go on, three weeks go on, no Jay. Jay, you coming out tonight? No, I can't. Fast forward, he he built a relationship with Jesus. He he turned his life around, and that just really ministered to me. I thought, you know what? Um, that's when God started speaking, and that was a huge turning point for me because he gave me kind of a light to see what it was like to pursue Jesus and, and what the Christian life is supposed to look like, not just what we say and, and, and kind of a cultural Christianity thing. So fast forward to June 3rd. Uh, 2006. My wife and I, um, we got married. Um, and there shortly after, um, it was around in November sometime, but you know, again, it was just another weekend that I was going to church. Um, and that Sunday, honestly, I don't even remember what the pastor Tony was talking about. I just know that at the end of the service, it, it was, I've never, I've heard God speak to me in a lot of ways, but it was the first time I've ever heard him. And the only time I've ever heard him audibly speak to me, Heath, are you ready? And I kind of like turned around because I'm thinking somebody's talking to me when the altar call is coming up and, and it wigged me out and I thought, Oh my gosh. And I, and it just hit me. And so I grabbed Tracy's hand and we ran down front and I said, brother Tony, I'm tired of living the, the way I'm living. I'm tired of living as a, uh, saying, uh, I, how's it go? Um, uh, Monday through Friday, whatever, and a Sunday saint and a Monday ain't, uh, because I wasn't, that's what I was. That's what my life, that's the style I was living. And so went down, I just told brother Tony, I, you know, I, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. I, there's, there's, I'm tired of again, living this way and, and, and saying I'm this. And so, um, and so God, uh, he, I mean, obviously he instantly, changed my life. Um, and so, you know, my wants and my needs changed. Um, I will never forget a big story. This was probably, so I got saved on that Sunday. This was probably the following Tuesday. I worked for a company that, um, we had a huge Christmas party every year. I've been there five years. And so every Christmas party about Christ, we would have a Christmas party, a work Christmas party and just get hammered. I mean, hammer, they'd be shooting shots and just doing crazy stuff. Well, that was what our Christmas party was. And so this, this two days later, we go to this Christmas party. And I remember there was, there, there was the same usual bunch. There was probably 20 people in their families and they're just getting hammered. Um, and they asked me and asked me and asked me, Heath, you want to drink? You want to drink? Dave? And I was just like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And fast forward through the night, but we were getting in the car to leave. I was actually driving home. That never happened. Cause Tracy always drove. Um, <laughs> it, it was Tracy looked at me she said are you okay and, and I said yeah why am I not okay she goes do, do you realize you didn't have anything to drink in here tonight and it hit me like a ton of bricks like I started crying in the car like you know I didn't even think about it like having a drink it didn't even cross my mind like I didn't even want it and so so um, and then, so I looked forever and ever knew my faith and I couldn't figure out exactly how to describe what was going on in my life until I read second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so when I read that verse, it was, it was exactly what God was doing in my life. Um, and so from there, fast forward in, into my, I guess you call adult years, um, my passion for the youth um, is is just something that's always been on my heart, man. Uh, not having a uh, a father figure in my life to kind of guide me and point me in the direction that I needed to go and not make stupid decisions. Um, I felt like there's a lot of youth out there that have my same story that d don't have a dad that, that that they struggle. They don't have somebody they could call on. So 
I'm passionate for the youth. I, I, of course, I'm a 42-year-old trapped in a 10-year-old body. I'm, I'm the biggest kid you'll ever meet. So so when it comes to youth, I, I love getting in there with them. I love just maybe, again, just pouring into them, letting them know that they are valued and they are loved and God does love them no matter their circumstances they're in um, is one of my passions in life. Um, and two um, is are people with addictions. Uh, I, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything about my past um, because it opens up doors for me to share with people that are hurting right now in addictions, um, whether it be alcoholism or drugs. I mean, I got to have a conversation just two days ago with a customer that I didn't even really know that it was a divine appointment with a guy that we had. I got to pray with him right there in my parking lot because he was fixing to go to a drug rehab and I didn't get to preach at him. I got to tell him, hey, I know what you're, I know how you feel. I've been there. I've done that. Um, so that's a huge part of my life. And two uh, or three is, are my kids. Uh, I love my kids, man. Um, there's not a day go by that I don't tell them I love them. There's not a day go by that they don't know their love, and not only by their mother and I, but Jesus. He loves them more than I could ever love them. Um, I, and it's... um. It's something that, you know, again, I struggled with growing up. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel accepted. So um, now, again, my passion is to be the best husband, the best Christ follower, the best husband, the best dad I can be to my kids. Um, and that's, uh, that's kind of what God's doing and showing me in my life. So what position did you play in high school when you were playing football? Football. Man, I love it. My favorite on offense was wide receiver, hands down. Uh, and then, But my favorite position of all was defensive back. So, he said yeah. hands down because he's a receiver. So <laughs> hands up. That's hands up, bro. No, but did you play sports at all? Did what you are play? sports? No, no, <laughs> no. Definitely no sports for me. You were the skater yeah, kid. Absolutely, I was the skater kid. Yeah, the defensive back was great, man. It, anyway, it, I loved it. It was it was the best position on the field. So, so de- defensive back—that's like a linebacker, right? That's the cover of the wide receivers. Yeah, you cover the receivers. I thought so. that was a corner. Yeah, defensive back, cornerback, defensive back, a safety. You got your safeties back there. I didn't play football. I yeah. played soccer. So. Yeah. Oh no, no, yeah. So, but technically, you are correct. Yeah, there is a cornerback and a safety, but they're defensive backs. So, yeah. and you're a Vols fan. Uh, is there any other football <laughs> team out there? Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, I don't have a uh, a team I really pull for, but I do hate Alabama. So Come I'm just on, gonna throw that out it, there. Preach it. Tell the truth. <laughs> I think that speaks for itself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, we'll move on. <laughs> Listen, we can't get into Alabama. We'll, we'll talk about singing. It's just Jesus for them too. Yeah, he did. <laughs> oh my gosh! So how how long have you and Tracy been married? We have been married thirteen, going on fourteen this year. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a while. Yeah, congratulations! Fourteen beautiful, thir- fourteen thirteen and a half beautiful years. Yeah. yeah. So they've all been amazing, right? Oh, every one of them. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, Mary. Uh, so, yeah. So, I guess coming from my background, um, being what I was put through, and and just as a family, my my family divorcing at an early age, right? 
And again, I kind of touched on it that I think at the time, um, I, I didn't really comprehend like what it meant. My dad was leaving. I just knew he was leaving. I didn't, I, I didn't understand what divorce was, but as I got older, you know, obviously it comes to mind. Okay. This is what divorce is. Your parents go opposite ways. And knowing the devastation I had in my, my life, um, coming from Tracy's side of the marriage, her mom and dad are still married. They've been married, I think, golly, 38, 40 some years. So they've got a great marriage. They've been married forever. So she doesn't know the devastation. But when we came together, when we got married, well, actually, before we got married, we talked about it. That this is this is not an option in in our marriage. Um, when you when you when you do when you say your vows, it's death do us part. It doesn't say you can get married, but if you get in an argument, just forget about it and get a divorce. It, that that's not the culture may tell you that your culture may tell you that's okay, but that's not biblically standards. And so when we again, so we've been married for going on fourteen, and we we don't mention it. It, it don't come up. It's Instead of the divorce word, it's it's how can we work through this to to get better. Um, so it, we don't, yeah, it's just something we don't mention. Yeah, I like that. I know going into marriage myself, that was something we laid out on the table right away. Is we're not going to talk about it. It's not an it's not an option at any point because I mean my my family went through something similar, a little mm-hmm. different. Um, but then divorce has just been pretty rampant and. A lot of my family, uh, aunts, uncles, grandparents, like just, it's a, a rampant thing. And I went into marriage with the mindset of, I'm not doing this. I'm going to do something different. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little curious. What was, what was y'all's mindset going into marriage? Like, yeah. How, how did your parents' divorce impact how you saw marriage going in? Well, kind of on the same line, um, so when Tracy and I sat down, much what what you guys did, we, in my family, there's not been one marriage on, on my side of the family, not on Tracy's side, on my side of the family, the Hornsby generation, uh, it's full of divorce, alcoholism. I don't know of one person, one family that I can look back on and say they stayed together through marriage. So Tracy and I, before, actually when we knelt at the altar at prayer that we said, hey, this is this is it change break change stop right here we're, we're breaking the chains of addictions and breaking the chains of divorce and and that and that kind of thing because we we want to again we want to set an example for our kids because again growing up when I seen my parents split that's all I knew was divorce you know what I mean I didn't know that when 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 I started getting older and I started seeing other people's families together I was like oh there you, you can stay married and have a healthy relationship you know and that kind of thing so again we said from from this marriage on, the Hornsby legacy will be full of, we'll, we'll have Christ in it and not divorce and this and that and whatever it may be. So that was, that was our that was our outlook or that was our, um, I guess you could say goals if that's a, kind of a bad term, but uh, that's what we looked at um, going going into our marriage. Um, yeah. yeah, I like that. Was there any piece of advice that was given to you before marriage that has stuck with you? Um. So I will say this, um, marriage, you got two people coming together, both have baggage, both have issues coming together. And we knew that as, um, a married couple. And what I tell people, Tracy and I, we went the first year of marriage was our hardest part of marriage. We, we actually went and a lot of people don't know this, but we went to counseling in our first year. Like we were ready to kill each other. Like this is marriage. 
I don't want to, come on, we got to do something or we're going to die. You know, so we went and saw uh, some incredible, incredible people uh, that counseled us for about a year. Um, so we encourage people that are newly, newly married. If, if you're having issues, don't bury it under the rug. Don't act like, because you're not the only one walking alone. There's plenty of marriages out there that are struggling, not just yours. But Satan will want you to think, oh, it's just your marriage. Your marriage is horrible. Go ahead and give it up. Don't talk about it. No, 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 don't talk about it. Act like everything's great. And then just keep going and going until it blows up. So people that newly married that we've had the opportunity to minister to and talk to is marriage is hard. It's very rewarding. God makes it very rewarding. But it, you, you have to work at it. It's not just going to be gravy all the time. And in our 14 years of marriage, I will say that we have had mountaintop highs and we've had valley lows. Um, it's never just a straight line. Everything's great all the time. So it's, uh, you just got to work it out. You just got to talk. That sounds very similar. Some of the advice that I was given a long time ago, that love is a choice. And every day I, yeah. I choose it. It's not just this automatic emotion or feeling that just happens. It's, you know, I'm going to choose to love Paige, even if, you know, things are difficult that day. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I've been told the same that you don't, you don't just quit. You don't fall out of love. You choose to quit loving somebody. So excellent example. We choose every day to get up and go to work. We choose to love our spouse. You know, that's what we do. So it's a choice. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so before getting married, Aaron and I went to a couple of retreats and, and premarital weekends and what whatnot. And something that came out of that was um, we went to one at this place called Windshape, and they they pointed out like the Bible never says that you are to be loved or to go out and ex like a anticipate being loved by another person. The Bible explicitly says that you are to go out and love other people, and that applies to your marriage. Like if you go into it expecting to be loved, then things are going to fall apart pretty quickly. But if you go into it with the mindset of I'm here to love the other person that's when it's going to flourish and do really well because that's the thing you're called to do is love the other person and not just to be loved by them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But yeah. That, that's, I mean, that's and it's not easy with me. It's not it's easy. Not easy. <laughs> well, let me speak for Heath. Heath is selfish. So I want what I want. So it's, it's, it's hard, but exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mike is selfish too. Don't worry. You're not alone there. <laughs> <laughs> We're all terrible people. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so while we're talking about marriage, kind of want to, Go get a little bit bit more information on your early marriage. Um, just for a little clarification, were you still partying and getting wild after you guys got married? So that's a great question. So um, we, um, so we, okay. So when we got married in June, uh, two thousand six, and really it was only. A few months after that, in November or something, to where I actually got saved. So it was that, I would say in that year, God was really working on me, and I think Tracy could see it. Um, I wasn't as hesitant to go to church <laughs> like I was before. Like I, Before, I'd like, oh, okay, it's like, a, I'll go today, you know, like in a, in a drudging way. Just a, But then as, as t you know, as that year went on, and, and like I said, I share with my, my good buddy story about how God is just working on my heart. So there wasn't a really a long time in our marriage. So again, once I got saved, gave my life to Christ and actually, Hey, you're the Lord of my life. Now there wasn't, it, it was, 
by the grace of God, there wasn't any drinking anymore. It was, we had to make a choice. And again, Tracy's always been really solid. I mean, she's choosing, she was birthed in church. Not really, but she pretty much was. And so she's always had a solid, solid uh, foundation. And so I had to make a choice early in my marriage, early in my marriage, that if I had 20 drinking buddies that I could call up. And even after I got saved for the next six months, guys would call me up. Heath, we going here again? You know what? And I'd, you going to be drinking? Yeah, I, I can't be a part of it, man. I'm sorry. So I had to make a choice early in my marriage to say, hey, look, I'm either going to pursue God and we're going to pursue this marriage like we talked about. And we're going to put we're going to break the chains of addictions and alcohol and all this divorce stuff. And we're going to pursue Jesus. And I knew to do that, I had to surround myself with like minded people. So that's when I mean, instantly we got in a Bible study class. We, we joined Silverdale. We got in a small group, never been a part of a small group. So we got in there and those guys. It was a newly married, uh, newly married um, Bible study, um, small group. And so in there is where we just got in with a bunch of awesome people, man. And they took me under their wing and just, just showed me. I had no idea what a biblical marriage looked like, man. I was new to this thing, man. I was three months in, and I'm used to my old ways. And I thought I was a pretty good dude until, you know, I got to see, dude, I'm doing this thing way wrong. I mean, it's bad wrong. So in, in that small group is where I got to just pour into people pouring into me and just showing me what it's like to, to be new in Christ but also be new in the marriage and what it looked like to have a new marriage. So we didn't have – there wasn't – there wasn't a lot of drinking uh, when we first started. I mean, it was pretty much uh, starting fresh with Jesus, so which was an awesome thing. We were blessed. Um, so, coming off of that and in talking about the party scene that you gave up, what does ministry to addicts look like, or what does it look like to you? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a great question too, man. When I so when I was living the party scene. I had a bunch of Christians, so-called Christians, come up, and they would absolutely rub me the wrong way. And I, they would come up, Heath, you're smoking a cigarette, you're going to hell. Heath, you're doing this, and this is not biblical. And it absolutely, I'm like, if that's your God, I don't want to have nothing to do with it. I don't, I don't want to be around him if that's your God. So when I become a believer, um, my my approach to somebody that is struggling with drugs and alcohol is to love them right where they're at. The Bible also tells us that they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So when I come up um, to somebody that's struggling with addiction, the first thing I go to is my testimony. They can tell me, Heath, I'm struggling with this, this, and this. And I don't say, oh, you're horrible, or you should do this, or you should do that. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. God has taken me from the love of alcohol, where I was drunk as a dog every day, whether it be smoking pot every day, and let me show you what he's done in my life. And so I just try to tell him, tell them or the person or whatever, that God loves them right where you're at. He can change your heart right now. And and um, if he can do it in my life, <laughs> he can do it in anybody's life. And so I'm not pointing the finger. I, I want people to know that their love, more importantly than anything, they can be, I don't care, what, you, you name it. But again, if, if they know that they're loved, then I can share what God did in my life because they can't argue what God did in my life. They can, I can, they can argue this, this, and this all the time, but they cannot argue what God did in my life. So if I tell them the power and the love of God and what he did in my life, he can do that in your life? I'm like, yes, he can. Who's this God you're talking about? And let me, let me share with you who it is. So... 
That's the way I approach somebody that has no idea who God is. They're living in a rebellious state of drunk. I just share, hey, man, I've been there. I've done it. And, and, and God, if he can change me, he can change anybody. Um, that's my approach to it. Um, because the last thing somebody wants to hear is, is you're better than them. And you're breathing down their throat, just pointing your finger at them. So that's not, in my opinion, you don't convert anybody like that. Uh, obviously, God converts them, but you're not going to win anybody to the kingdom pointing fingers. If anything, you're just pushing them further where they're at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, with that being said, um, I 100% agree. Like, you never want to treat someone like an enemy. Right. Um, you want to treat them as just a human being, really. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious, how would you how would you challenge someone who claims to be a Christian but is still living that kind of life, lifestyle? Right. Um, man, it's funny. I had this conversation this week with a guy. Um First off, you know, we can't make anybody want to change. Um, I can want you to change all you want, but until you decide, hey, I want a lifestyle change, you're never going to change. So I just try to ask them um, if they're living in that, who is God to you and and what does he mean to you? I mean, who is God? What do you think about God? Is he a loving father? Is, Is he your king? Is he your Lord? Or is he just somebody looking over you that you don't care anything about? And so... Um, I think about, um, yeah, so when I think about that, I just think that, um, you know, God is loving and God is caring and um, it, it, you got to want it. And you've got to, you got to, and I, you have to ask the hard question. I mean, hey, how much do you love God? Do you want to change or not? It's up to you, you know. So when people keep saying, oh, I love God, this, this, and this, and I love to ask people, how does your life align with that? You know what I mean? Like, you can say you love God all you want, but does does your life does it shine that you know again i tell everybody you don't have to tell me you're a christian i i can just see it by the way you walk bottom line you don't have to say i'll go to church i go to a small group and i read my bible every day and blah 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 you don't have to tell me that i'll see that in your action and the way you walk it out so i just challenge people hey how's your walk you know what are you doing at home and that kind of thing and so i don't know that's the way i kind of approach it yeah absolutely for those those who are struggling with some sort of addiction what, what advice would you give? Is, are there programs you would recommend? Like what helped you out? Man, this is, and I love this, and, and I, I hate to use the word preach this everywhere I go, but I, again, I shared this this week with a guy that is struggling with alcohol. You, you and, and what saved me, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, is that you, I had a choice. I could have I got married, got saved, and continue going to bars and probably not changed a whole lot. My walk would have probably been really dull. But I had to make a choice to say, look, if, if you're in this if you're in this addiction, and it could be anything. It could be spending money. It could be overeating. It could be sin. It could be lust, pornography, whatever it is. You, you have to eliminate your temptation, bottom line. Um, I can sit here today and say that I can be around alcohol and not get drunk. I can choose to say, no, I'm okay. I don't, I don't, I don't want to drink. Now, if you'd asked me that, Again, maybe two weeks into my walk, and I continued to go to bar after bar after bar. I probably wouldn't have been very strong, and I probably would have slipped up and got drunk all the time. And again, life might not have changed. So, the biggest key for me was if you are walking in a in a point where you are just absolutely tempted, you can't get out of it. Number one's God. You got to pray to God. He's got to change you. You got to want that change. But two, you have got to eliminate your temptation, man. If you can't. If you're if you're struggling with alcohol and there's no alcohol in the house, you can't get drunk. You know what I mean? If if you're struggling with lust on a, on on a computer, if you don't have a computer in the house, you you can't watch pornography. So 
and with God's help, that's what I would tell people, number one. That's single-handedly everybody that asked me, Heath, how'd you get, how'd you do it? Jesus, number one. And two, I had to change my entire lifestyle that to chase after Jesus versus the temptation. Temptation will get you every single time. I don't care who you are and how strong you are. Um, it'll get you. You talked a lot about um, how your dad moved away. And obviously that had a huge impact on you, um, and rightfully so. Uh, I'm curious, though, how did you have to struggle with the the image of God as a father? Man, that's deep. Man. Whew. So, um, so obviously, um, and, and you hear it all the time, that a lot of, of, of men here view our earthly father as an image of our, I'm sorry, our heavenly father as an image of our earthly father. And so, again, when Satan, I mentioned it, that Satan always told me that if your own earthly father can't love you, then how can God love you? You're messed up. If your dad left you, how can God love you? He'll leave you too. He's gone. And so my image of God was somebody that, again, was just sitting up there on the throne, just like, hey, you know, you're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, and, and that was my image of a, of a king someone that rules you that can really care less about you. They just want you to follow the rules that, that, I mean, that was my image of, of God. And, and so in that, again, watching my dad leave, you know, it was, it was just kind of, that was my image of, if, of him, of not a loving father sitting up there. I love you, son. Come home. It was, I don't love you. I mean, you're, you're too messed up to love again. That was my image of him. So, and it was hard. I mean, again, I've shared that I didn't feel accepted or love and, um, by by my earthly father until you know later later in life you know um so it was uh it was a struggle it was a struggle what does your relationship with your dad look like now have you guys reconciled things um are you guys still talking like what what does that look like right now yeah man great question um so as i hinted to in and when my mom and dad separated in the early parts of 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 growing up i you know like i said satan used that lie to get into my head as when my dad left, like, hey, he don't love you. Your dad can't love you. How can God love you? And that's, again, what I, what I shared. I struggled with a lot. So growing up, you know, at the time, I know my dad loved me. At the time, I didn't know. Again, I was young, didn't understand it all. But that's what Satan beat in my head is that he didn't. So, uh, but to answer the question today, my dad and I, we have a good relationship. Um, we go hunting together. We go fishing together. I don't see him as much as I would like to see him. I wish I could tell you I got to see him every week or something, but we really, um, I really don't get to see him a lot. He just recently moved down to Savannah, which kind of hurt me even more because it's less I'm going to get to see him than I did here. But to answer your question, my dad probably, not even probably, he is the smartest guy I've ever met, super smart. Uh, and he has taught me a lot about life um, in the short time that we have got to spend together. But, um, but again, yes, I love him. Um, growing up, again, I would like to see him a whole lot more than I did. Uh, we were distance a lot, a lot of times younger in life. Again, as I got older and he moved back, I, I don't really remember. I think it was around juniors, senior um, in high school. I think around that time he moved back. And in that time, I still got to see him more. Uh, just in my early part of life, uh, there, there was a good distance there. But, but yeah, to answer your question, yeah, we are. Uh, I love him. He, t we still talk. Um, you know, we try to talk weekly, maybe sometimes every other week or something. But, um, but yeah, just wanted to make that clear that I that I do love my dad. Uh, I look up to my dad, um, and we do have a pretty good relationship right now. Man, so I just want to brag on you a little bit. Oh, you boy. know, 
you've you've been in in my life sometimes from a distance um, since I was in high school and you've been a, a really positive impact and influence. Um, and one of those things is I've I've gotten to see you uh, acting as a father, and you've just been really great. It seems like you and Tracy are just killing it as parents. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No, no pressure. pressure. Um, but one thing I'm I'm curious about, like I don't I don't have kids. We're probably a few years away from even talking about that. Um, but how how are you teaching your kids to follow God the way that you guys are? Yeah. Well, first off, I'm going to give my wife ninety percent of the credit because she's incredible, and she does get to stay home with them a lot. But it. The, Again, I've shared there's probably no greater joy in my life than teaching my kids about God. Um, I'm super passionate for the lost. I'm super passionate for uh, a youth again. But when it comes to my kids, um, it's like a whole different kind of passion. And I think, as you guys will see, as, as you have kids and, and you have people dependent on you, um, it, it's it's our job. It's our responsibility to make sure, uh, they know the word, they know what's coming, they know who God is. Um, but some practical ways is, um, I mean, easy ways. I say it's cheesy, but it's not, but like we pray before every meal. I'll ask one of my kids, which one wants to pray. So they, they, they get in a habit of thanking God for everything, every meal. Um, we, um, we, we sing, of course we listen to worship music. My kids, again, there's no greater joy when you're walking around your house and your little four year old singing, I raise a hallelujah through the house. You know, it's just something that just does your heart so good. And, um, but one of my favorite times is every night at bedtime. Uh, I got, I have three kids. And so we pile up on the bed every night and we read a devotion. Um, and it is just like, um, and, and, and Tracy's in there with us. And so it's a, it's a time where again, um, they know they're loved, tell them all the time they're, they're loved. And now let me tell you about somebody that loves you even more than I do. And we'll open God's word. And, and honestly, kids devotions are awesome. They teach me so much. I'm like, oh, that's how that happened in a kid's book, you know, and it is so good. And, and, and that is where, uh, you really start to see your kids come to life. Like when you read them a Bible story and, and, and your four-year-old goes, oh, oh, I, I know Samson. He, he killed the lion. And I'm like, yeah, he did. And he pushed, oh, he pushed over the pillars. And I'm like, yeah. And just, just the, the, the no, any, you name, and, and of course, the river, I've been reading, of course, he's my oldest, but man, it just fires me up, man. We, we get into stories and he start he starts telling me the story before we even start reading it. Like, oh, I know this. And let me tell you what happens. Bang, bang, bang. And so. That just fills my heart up, man. You can't beat it, man. And then, of course, again, you, uh, we take them to church. Uh, you know, they, they love going to church. They love the, the, the kids' program there. And then even in, in worship uh, time. So those are just some of the little ways. Um, but, again, after, so after we do our devotions, we each go to our own separate beds. They go to their own beds. And I will kneel down and pray with each one of them individually. Deacon's my youngest. He's three. He's, you know, they're so young. You know, you just got to love on them and, 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 you know, they're getting it. But as they get over, Lila, I'll ask her to pray. Hey, is there anything you want to pray for tonight? And they, it, sometimes we'll say amen and I'm crying because she's praying for a little girl at school that I have no idea who it is. And she's praying that her heart will be changed. And I'm just, I'm trying to wipe away the tears and be strong. And she's sitting here and then, and then River, the same thing. And then I'll go to River's room and pray for him and ask him, is there anything that he's struggling with or that kind of thing? Just, to, um, Again, that's just the passion in my heart, and I love it. It's one of my favorite favorite times at night. It's just to get to go to each one of them and talk to them, and and uh, and that kind of thing. And it happens 
ninety percent. Obviously, there's sometimes I don't get home from work and I'm 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 ready to go to bed when I get home at ten thirty, working late. But I mean, majority of the time, that's where Tracy and I it feed them. And then again, vice versa. That's as a dad, Tracy. She has she she works Monday and Tuesday, so she's got a lot of time during the morning to do devotions with them when I'm not there when I'm at work. So that's, but our kids are number one. Bottom line, they are number one. They are our number one disciples. That's who they they are. That's who we invest the most in in this season of our life. Obviously, they get older and they get grown and they go make disciples. Um, but that's where we're at. So it's a huge, huge, huge. Right now, it's just one of the, the awesomest blessings, awesomest, if that's a word, whatever. But it's uh, it's so awesome just to to see them grow in their faith. And I will add, four years ago, time flies. But four years ago, I had the privilege of baptizing River, my son, and it was, you know, it's, you can't get no better. I mean, Tennessee can score eight million touchdowns in a football game, but it don't get better. You know what I mean? There's just no nothing that can top baptizing your son and and what that means. So I will say too though, I actually own a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible because it's just awesome. You probably helped me pick out some devotions thinking about it. Yeah, now I'm thinking about it. So yeah, it's good, man. They're awesome. So I'm curious, is there any one specific mountaintop experience um that is pertinent to your story? Um, yeah, there has been, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of mountaintops, uh, in my walk with Christ. Um, you know, I've, I'm thinking about, I've been clean and sober now for about 15 years. Um, I'm sorry, 14 years. Um, but in those walks, obviously God's done a lot in my life, but as I've, as I've shared, um, as a as a I guess as a father I've always wanted to be just a good good father to my kids because I didn't I, my dad was absent in my life obviously so one of I guess my my main goal in life is to let my kids know 100% that they are loved 100% I mean I get to the point of <laughs> my kids get tired of hearing it I'll ask him, hey, River, you know what? He'd be like, I know, Dad, you love me. It's like I tell him that so much, he gets tired of hearing it because I want him to know. Um, and about two years ago, um, I, man, I was just struggling. Uh, Tracy and I were living with our in-laws while we were building a house, and just it was just chaotic, 10 people in a house and blah, blah, blah. And so I was just struggling in my faith and just you know, stressed out from building a house and working all the time and just felt like I was making a lot of stupid decisions, just stupid saying stuff and and um, and I was getting ready for a a uh, a spiritual retreat to go on a men's retreat for four days. And normally, I don't let any of the kids sleep in the bed. It's mine and Tracy's bed. They sleep in their bed. But this particular night, um, I was going to be gone for the next three nights. And so River was like, this was probably three or four years ago. So River was like, Dad, can I sleep with you? Can I sleep with you? And I don't know why. I said, yeah. <laughs> normally, I'm like, no, you're sleeping in your bed. But for some reason, I didn't even hesitate. I said, sure, son, come on. So... Um, we always keep it cold in the room and it was at nighttime and, and uh, I wake up because his foot's in my back, um, his foot's in my back and his head's in Tracy's back. So he's sleeping like, um, the opposite way. And anyways, and he, and he doesn't have a cover on and he's freezing, he's shivering to death. And, uh, so I was like, man, poor guy. So I pick him up and I put his head back laying like we would sleep the same way with us. And I pulled the covers up over him right up to his head. And before I could, my, my head hit the pillow, he threw his arm around me. And he, and just, and it's dark and I could just see his face. And, and again, I'm struggling. And, uh, and he said, and he whispered, he said, Hey dad. I said, yes, son. And, uh, 
I never will forget this. He uh, he started singing. He said, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. And he sang that about three times before he went to bed. And at that moment, I thought, all of the bad dad junk that I've done in my life, all the stuff that I've done in my life, it was like God saying, Heath, you're going to be a good, good father. And that was like the culmination of my, am I doing it right, God? Am I getting this thing right? Am I doing it wrong? And I mean, that that part just absolutely tore my heart out. And to hear your son say that, and it, basically I felt like it was God telling me the same thing at that, hey, don't give up, don't give up. You, you're going to, you're going to keep it going. You're going to break the chains, keep going, keep going. Um, and that point of my walk with God was just, that was my mountaintop looking off, you know, after all the stuff that I've done wrong and that kind of thing. And to hear your own son say that I know I'm loved by you is, was just, uh, it was incredible. So that was, that was, of course, you know, one of the many, but in all culmination, that was probably the one that just absolutely sticks out, uh, to this day, man. I got chills. I got tears (laughs) the whole bag over here. Oh man, you I baby cried or ugly cried. But um but yeah man, it was Philippians thirty nine twenty six. I'm just kidding. Hut? <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I don't want to say anything. You were like, uh, uh all right. Philippians four thirteen, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Thank you for listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. Just search underscore MV Podcast on any platform. Again, that's underscore M as in Mountain, V as in Valley Podcast. This podcast was created and produced by Michael Horvath and Kip Wilkinson. This episode was mastered and scored by J.A. Parkey. Thank you so much for listening. Now go tell your story. Oh, come on. Come on <laughs> oh, that, I'm All so right. glad I started recording for that. Stronger, like all things, Christ gives strength. You nailed it.